Well, have you ever experienced that phenomena of the first impression? You ever hear that phrase, you never get the second chance to make a first impression? Well, there is some serious truth to that idea. You know, it's been said as a church and just as a church, you have seven minutes before a guest knows if they're going to come back to your church or not. That's before uh, any of the music has started, generally before the uh, welcomer has gotten up to, to welcome seven minutes and they know if they're coming back or not. But with people, you know, it can be even worse. I had said uh, earlier on in my welcome uh, to comment about how long you think it took for a person to make an impression of somebody or to have a first impression of somebody that sticks. Well, two Princeton psychologists, they did a study on this very idea and they figured out that a person that people could ingrain an impression in a tenth of a second, rightly or wrongly, and more exposure to a person generally just cemented their first thoughts rather than changed them. It's scary stuff. But the point of this whole message isn't to, to try and set up a message about how to make a good first impression. Um, the point is more how fast do we make first impressions? Do we as people Maybe as believers, how fast do we make an impression of somebody else or get an impression of somebody else? How fast can we write somebody else's story by glancing at their eyes? How swift will we be to determine their trustworthiness by just the first syllable that comes out of their mouth? Now, I don't mean this as a, as a critique because it, there was a place at one time when it had a, a place for human survival. You know, however many years ago it might have been, you know, how the person who could determine, who could look at somebody and determine, okay, they're a friend or they're a foe in a split second before that foe could hurt us. Well, that kind of had a lot to do with our survival as human beings, as a, a race or a species. But if it's almost hardwired, if we're almost hardwired to fill in a thousand blanks on a person before inter even introducing ourselves, how do we get past that so that we can have a conversation without with somebody who's not just a spitting image of ourself, where we even might be able to grow ourselves. Now, you may know today's passage uh, if you've been around the Bible at all, but I want you to hear it with fresh ears. It comes out of the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis, in the creation narrative of Genesis 1. Uh, it's verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That idea, created in the image of God. How's that for an idea to try and hang on to? As we've been doing over these last couple of weeks, there is so much more in this than I could try to cover in just a short message. But just to hit that idea that we, human beings, all, whether whatever tribe, whatever race, whatever language, makes no difference. If we're human, then we are created in God's image. So what does that mean? Well, I don't want us to get hung up on the language of uh, image or likeness and try and make too much out of them because really image and likeness it isn't to imply that we are related like a parent to a child as far as us and God there is a place where you know 
children of God are adopted in, and I'm not talking so much about that. I'm talking about physical characteristics. You know, you look at our kids uh, and you see a resemblance to my wife and I. You can tell that my son is absolutely 100% me and our youngest daughter is absolutely 100% my wife and our middle one is the perfect split between us. How that worked out, that's God's creativity right there. But if you look at anybody's biological kids, you can see physical resemblance. So that's not, that's the part where I say image and likeness is not quite where the writer is going. But, you know, at some point, the writer is trying to use finite words to describe an infinite situation. What the conversation, the celestial conversation was like going on before human beings were even created. And like any analogy, which it essentially is, it falls short at some point. But the short version, I believe, is that the, the idea of being made in the image or the likeness of God is where we get our moral compass from. You know, to the best of, our, of my knowledge, at least, human beings are the only species with a, a sense of right and wrong ingrained in our, like in our DNA. It's why certain things bother us. Um, it's why we hear of things like a school shooting. And even if we don't know anybody, we think, you know what, there's something wrong with that. It's why we hopefully think um, we think twice before robbing a bank or before you know punching somebody out in the in the street because they they stole our spot in the in the checkout line or something like that. Is that we have that that moral compass sort of ingrained in us wherever we may think that it comes from, whether we think it comes from God or from something else. For you know if it's not a believer. But last week's this is where last week's next step may have been a bit of a challenge um, because I I had asked. Find somebody that maybe you disagree with and try and find a common ground to work from. Uh, saying that, you know, even if it's as base level as a Barbara, bon Barbara Brown Taylor says when she says, even if just that we have skin on, we have something in common. But, you know, I get sometimes we disagree with somebody and it fires up emotions. And it becomes hard when our emotions get fired up. It becomes hard to find common ground, even if we both have skin on, as, as she says, just to find something at a, at a core level where we are, have a common ground. But that's, there's something even more down to our core than that, than the, the fact that we have skin on or that our stomach grumbles when we're hungry or something like that. We have God's image implanted in us. Each person, no matter how different they look or how different their views may be, now, I want you to note one thing as we are kind of expanding or understanding what this means and expounding it into our, our lives. When God decided this, when God said, you know, let us make humankind in our image, then God created humankind in his image or in, yeah, in his image. When God decided that, it was God, some fish, maybe a sheep or two, and I'm guessing that the sheep didn't twist God's arm to do this, to make human beings in God's image. I'm guessing the fish weren't nibbling at God's ankle to, to be a little anthropomorphic about it, nibbling at his ankle until he decided that he was going to, that he should do this, or that God should do this. God himself chose to do this, chose to put something of himself into each person. That means that God implanted dignity and honor into each person as he created them. So where does that leave us? 
Now, whether we're believers or not, because I, I understand people can hear this and be across the spectrum of, okay, well, God created humans in his image. Well, okay, some people may not believe that and some people may not care about that. Some people may be all for that. But I want to steal a theme from uh, Robert Fulgham's book, uh, All I Needed to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten. All, all I Really Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. Let's take this to the playground uh, where every life lesson gets learned, right? Let's say Johnny builds a sandcastle and then he's got it all. He spends all his recess time putting it together and making it perfect. And then Sean comes over and just kicks that thing all over the place. What's going to be the response? Or let me simplify it a little bit. Maybe we'll make this kind of like a, how I might approach a child, a children's message. Is Johnny going to be happy about that or is he going to be angry? Now, I mean, I'll let your imagination kind of run wild about deciding what happens next and how that scenario plays out. But now I'm going to put a bit of a twist to it. Imagine Johnny is a 300-pound bodybuilder. Now, how is that response going to go? One hope that I would have, that Sean knows how to run really, really fast. It, you know, If God loved enough to put his very being into creating people, to giving his life on the cross to save such people. How would God respond when people are treated inhumanely? Even though a person, even though those whom a person might look at and think there's, there's something about the way they live that's just, I can't agree with, right? Because certainly, um, whether a believer or not, you can look at some people and the way they choose to live their life, and you're like, I can't, I can't condone something like that. I wouldn't hope that my children would grow up to, mo- to follow that kind of model. You know, flavor that however you like. But God says, if they're my creation, treat them with dignity and honor. If they are my creation, I created them, God says, treat them with dignity and honor. If there's something that needs to be sorted out, God might say, I will sort it out. Don't you worry about that. We, and we can trust that. That if there is something that needs to get sorted out, God will deal with it. But we believe that despite, because ultimately, you know, we believe that despite all of our efforts, ultimately it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. Now I get, as I said, there may be a spectrum of people that are hearing this and some people may look at the idea that, you know, God created human beings and, well, I either don't believe it or don't care. And there's some, maybe some that, you know, every person can hear this and come to it with a unique point of view, a unique story of their own, a unique uh, rose-colored or dark-colored glasses that they may see life through, whatever the case may be. But I hope enough people are hearing this that would value at least that much, that God created human beings in his image, loved them enough to do that, cared enough about the details to, to work that kind of thing out. So what if we're called not just to treat people with dignity, but to advance the idea of dignity for people? You know, because it can be easy to say that we believe for ourselves and then we just go about doing what we've always done, right? That's sort of the, the path of least resistance. That's kind of a human default. You know, that idea of inertia, that an object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion, Well, especially that first part, an object at rest stays at rest. That's not just a physics lab idea. That's sort of a a human psychology or sociology kind of 
concept. We do what we've always done unless something forces us to change. So what if, as people created in God's image, God called us to help others see that in people, to ask those hard questions, even of ourselves, that maybe we don't ask. Does God care about racial divides in the world? Well, have we ever asked that question, even of ourselves? And if you haven't, that's, you know, fine. I, I admit it's certainly been a, a while, you know, as you watch the news and you, and you start to have this issue come to the forefront. Well, sometimes it's not always at the forefront. Certainly, I'll admit it at my mind, even with my experiences across racial lines. Does God expect men and women to be treated fairly in the, mar- in the workplace? Is God concerned about how we treat the earth? Which, by the way, God also created and its resources. Finding that common purpose allows us to to bridge the gap between believers and non-believers. And so that we can be, you know, or as we are working, as Christians are working to advance the kingdom of God, and together we're working on making the world a better place, because believers and unbelievers can agree on that, that trying to make the world a better place is a good thing. It doesn't become an us versus them idea, but an us and them idea. Let me say that again, that when we are, are thinking this way and asking these kinds of questions, it makes making the world a better place, not us versus them, but us and them. So how do we play this out? Who is one person who brings a different perspective on life, whether it's because they are of a different race or a different ethnicity or um, come out of a different background? Who is one person that we can talk to to learn from this week? Really about anything. Um, Find that person and make the first move to engage. I was talking to my brother this week, and he's a guy who can strike up a conversation with just about anybody. And he says some of the, the favorite conversations he has are with you know, Uber drivers or, or stuff like, um, or taxi drivers in the city that often are coming from different parts of the world and just ask about what brought them to America and all the different things you can learn from that. But find that person, whatever level of difference it might be, and make that move to engage and see how God can transform you through being faithful to him. Let's pray together. God, you are a creative God. And for that, we worship you. We thank you that you have loved us enough to put a part of who you are inside of us. Help us to to treat that with honor and dignity and to treat your creation, be it the animals, be it the, the earth, be it other people, with that same kind of honor and dignity. Help us to do that. And through that, transform us, we pray. Amen.